Hey everyone, I'm Sina Hagiha and welcome to First Serve. The path to live a fulfilled and abundant life is to learn, grow and serve and that is what this podcast is all about. We will have guests on the show who are utilising their skills to make a positive impact to our world. Together we can gain a lot of insights, expand our knowledge and apply our learnings to serve others to the best of our abilities. Our guest today is someone who I have connected with several times and during our interactions I could see that he had this growth mindset, that he had spent time working on himself to constantly get better, that he had gone through a transformational journey and it was just apparent in his aura, his communication and his curiosity to explore other people's stories. So I wanted to get him on the podcast to dive deeper. In this episode we talk about how he started his spiritual journey which resulted in spending his summers serving and learning from monks in ashrams across India. We also discuss how he incorporated his learnings from living the monk life to living the corporate life. An area that fascinates me is optimal performance, reaching our full potential and being our best selves. And our guests will touch on those areas, especially around how to control the mind, body and soul. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I think it's going to be filled with a lot of gems. Welcome to the show, Anandatani. Yeah, no pressure. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, well, at least at least we're gonna try and talk about controlling those things. I think that's the uh, that's the bit I can say. I'm, I'm I'm trying to do at least. Yeah, for sure. So before we dive into that, can you tell us a little bit about your journey, your personal life? I know you've lived in Shanghai. You've lived in the U.S. Um, can you talk a little bit about those experiences and how they have got you to where you are today and also in terms of mind body and soul when i was thinking back on it i think growing up i was very much maybe a bit of a happy go lucky type child um i have an older sister but she moved out when i was quite young so i essentially grew up as an only child and I don't think I really had many, you know, deep thoughts or gave much concern to the broader world. You know, I kind of lived in that bubble of going to school, uh, hanging around with my neighbor. One of my best friends lived down the road from me. So life was quite easy. You know, we'd go to the park together, um, play video games, whatnot. I wouldn't say I had much of a tough childhood that that some people talk about having. So things were fine, you know. I went to a good school, uh, so education was decent. And then I think it probably was around when I turned 15 or 16. And uh, a really, really close friend of mine, who I'll probably go into more detail later, but he got me into our local temple uh, in terms of going there and um, just really helping out during our spare time, especially over summer holidays. And for me at the time, I didn't really know why I was doing it. I was just doing it because I knew it was a good thing to do. Um, So that's kind of where my spiritual journey began around 15, 16. So then, yeah, just touching on that subject as well, like your spiritual journey. I know you spent a few summers in India, learning from the monks, serving in ashrams across India. So how did that idea come about? Like, was it just random one day you said, 
we're going to do this over the summer or was it based on your experience working in a temple which encouraged you to go and do that what really triggered that decision yeah i'd say um so like i said you know when i was around 15 16 um i used to go with my friend and stay in in the kind of ashram that was on site in north london and that was mainly just two or three days you know didn't have anything better to do over summer so let's go and do that and do something that at least feels good and then through kind of forming I would say really deep connections with some of the other youth that would go to help out at the time. For me, it was, oh, this is great. You know, I've, I've now got a friend circle that exists outside of my school. And to me, they just seemed um, like people who I wanted to look up to and associate with because they were just, you know, other kids who were either my age or slightly older and some even slightly younger, but they just seem to have this depth of, you know, thinking, I don't want to say outside the box, like it's something that so, you know, puts us on a different platform to people, but just have these deeper conversations about more kind of existential topics. So a bit different to what your normal kind of primary school, secondary school conversation was. So for me, it was like, wow, these guys are cool. They're also, you know, funny. I enjoyed being around them, but they also had this deeper side that I'd never really explored, but found fascinating, maybe in the beginning, just out of awe. And then a bit more like, I want to be like them. You know, I kind of, maybe I do have these thoughts and questions about this, this deeper element of what else is there in life. Um, and so I just became closer and closer where I was spending more and more time with these people and that kind of network that I'd made um, versus my school lot. And then over time, when those bonds grew stronger and people outside of, say, this temple environment started seeing these subtle changes in me where obviously they saw I was spending a lot of my time there. But even the way I was thinking about things and, and even talking about certain topics, um, it got people that I knew from outside interested. So they would start asking me questions. And long story short, as this network grew, eventually there were probably, I think, yeah, I went three times and, and the numbers changed, but roughly eight to 10 of us boys who uh, one of them took the initiative to say, let's go to India as a group. And we'll take one of the, the monks that we got to know really well, who was also quite young, you know, maybe only a few years older than us. He's been before, so he can take us and kind of guide us and show us around. So yeah, it was it, it kind of it wasn't an overnight decision. Um, but as soon as as soon as the guy I knew really well came up with this idea, like, shall we do this? I was like, of, of course, I would love to. And it's great to go with a group where you still kind of have that going with your boys feeling, but you're not just going with your boys to, I don't know, Malia, you're going with your boys to India to kind of explore something deeper. So that's kind of how it came about. Yeah. So after your first time, when you come back to the UK, what is that experience like? Because I can imagine you're there and you're doing all these spiritual practices, you're in solitude, you're probably not procrastinating as much, you don't have access to social media or the internet was the experience like that what i just mentioned um was it different and um yeah what was it like going back to normal life after that experience it's a really good question and what's funny is yeah there wasn't much access to 
social media but part of that was just because where we were in India um, especially being in India anyway but also being a bit more in the rural area it's just signal was not that good so it was kind of like a forced way of not having social media but then again when you're there the kind of association you're getting you'd almost feel like you're wasting time being there and being on your phone right it's like you're you're immersed in this environment where people are really trying to they either know their purpose and they're serving and striving ways to get closer to whatever that internal connection is that if i was to then sit on instagram or on facebook messenger unless it was something important or catching up with you know telling my parents that i'm alive you you just yeah you just feel like why am I here in this really kind of like blessed auspicious space um, and then on my phone? So yeah, it, it was very much like that. But um, yeah, I really like your, your question around how it was coming back. Um, because yeah, I'm just trying to put myself back to what it was like then. I think the benefit I had is because I did it with these group of boys who were basically on the same kind of wavelength as me. Hmm. It wasn't like I was literally going between one world and moving back to another. It was with a group of people who I was really close with. Um, yeah, but so it, you could still stay in touch with and talk about those exactly. experiences. It wasn't like you're just yeah. by yourself. And, and on that point, it also becomes very important to have that kind of support network, which I know you talk about a lot as well um, in your podcasts, but it's, it's not just in a work environment. Um, it's, it's kind of in every sphere, it becomes really important to have a support network. And, you know, some people even have a mentor or a coach. And this was exactly the same. This was a peer support network where it's almost, you have those people that can, I don't want to make it sound so regimented, but keep you in check. And it, it almost becomes them checking up, like, how is your spiritual journey going? Um, and not in a way of like, oh, oh no, you didn't meditate today. Um, you've fallen off the wagon, but just, hey, you know, I'm, I'm here. I'm probably going through the same struggles you are. Let's talk about it and what we want to work on and what we want to improve on. So in that way, it made it easier. But yeah, it, you know, definitely I used to work in a bank. So going, you know, having my two weeks of summer holidays, going to stay in an ashram, and then literally arriving back on a Sunday and going back into work on a Monday, it was, it was strange. You know, you, in, in one way, I, I remember, and I don't know, it could be seen as quite bad, but I, was almost, I remember walking firstly um, to the station and seeing all this like rush hour and mad people around me going crazy, like, oh, the train is late. And I just felt this like very serene, like these things don't matter, right? It, it doesn't matter that the train is late. It doesn't matter that someone's nudged you. I've just been through this whole experience of th there's so much bigger to it. And one thing I will say is in the beginning, there was a bit of an air of like ego that takes over. And this is actually really common and I'd love to get into it. But this almost ego of not necessarily I'm better than you, but, you know, I've experienced stuff that you probably haven't. And then you almost think you are better than them because of it. You know, you become very like oh, you wouldn't even understand. Um, so that was difficult to manage, you know, kind of shaking off that thing of people have a time and a place to explore this. I was just lucky to do it at a relatively young age. Um, but it becomes almost dangerous to alienate myself from my surroundings if I start to think like that. 
So that was that was a challenge in the beginning. Yeah. But does it not always also make you think that maybe these guys are all missing out on something that's out there that everyone can experience, but they just haven't been made aware of it or yeah, they're just not aware of the benefits. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah. Good question. I mean, so you kind of, you kind of feel sorry for them rather than, okay, I'm, I might feel better than you cause I have experienced that, but also like you're probably missing out and the world might be a better place if everyone had yeah. that mindset. For sure. Yeah. I mean, and I think this was a self-reflection that probably took me years to kind of realize about myself. For me, especially around that time, like, you know, kind of when I really began exploring it and finding it super fascinating, the reflection I had was that my own ego was kind of saying that, how can you not want to explore it? That's kind of how I saw it sometimes. And I remember having a conversation with this, this girl I knew who, so during university, I used to organize these kind of spiritual society events with uh, my friend. And I, then I used to tell people about it. And some of my friends used to come just out of support. But then people who were kind of like my second tier friends as such, uh, I would obviously tell them about it as well. I was so passionate about people coming to these events. Um, and they were, you know, they were very practical. It wasn't, hey, let's sit and, and read loads of verses and learn them off by heart. Um, and then sit in silence for an hour and meditate. It was very much like, how can we apply these Eastern principles to our daily lives? So leadership, stress management, you know, these kind of things. And I just remember that, you know, having this conversation with this girl where she came to an event just to be nice. Um, and then a question was asked about something about wanting to explore these things. And she was just like, no, not really. Whereas, you know, normally people are a bit more like, yeah, but I just don't have the time and they find excuses. And then I can just say like, oh, these are lame excuses. But she was just like, no, don't really think about these things. And for me, I, I was like, it made me like, dislike her, um, which is probably bad. But, you know, it was like, how can you, why, how can you not have some desire to want to know what else is out there? It, it didn't make sense to me. And so in that way, I think, sometimes I showed it where, you know, I wouldn't tell people like, what the hell is wrong with you? But it was clear by their response that I was really affected. Like, I don't get how you can't have this, any kind of thoughts like this. Uh, but then I just think over time, I realized like, it is, firstly, you know, some people's calling to it comes in different ways and at different times. Um, and if you want, I can get into what I learned about that. I think I've just learned that for me, it's very much about as long as I keep practicing what I genuinely believe in, then that energy should resonate with people to then be curious to ask and get involved rather than me trying to shove it in their face. Um, and so once I kind of, and yeah, like I say, it took me years, right? It took me years to kind of get over this ego about it. And once I kind of took that approach, that's when I started to see more people becoming genuinely curious. Um, and then asking and then it came down to me being able to answer their questions and sometimes they'll be challenging me and that's where it really becomes important when people are challenging your beliefs and faith and your belief system then that's a, that's the test of whether you genuinely understand and believe what you do and it doesn't mean needing to understand everything but you know when when people start to challenge you you need to be able to defend it and say why you are doing what you're doing and if you start to get defensive 
or go on the attack, then it shows that you don't really have that full belief in what you're doing and then you start getting very defensive about it. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, you, you just, it shows you're a bit insecure about exactly. it. So you start defending, yeah. Yeah. So just going back to maybe some of the benefits and your learnings, what, what were your biggest learnings from those experiences and did you have any conflicts with the world we live in today so i know you said you work for a bank and you worked in corporations so they're kind of on two different ends of the spectrum so did you have any conflicts or do you have any conflicts right now with your spirituality and the world we live in today yeah so the the first question around some of the teachings that i got I mean, there were loads, but one thing that I was kind of, I, I wouldn't even say eye-opening, but I realized in the beginning, which I didn't really know, was um, that you, you have these kind of like Eastern principles, you know, the Vedas and all of that, that have been around for, you know, thousands of years. And then you have kind of the modern day practices that everyone does. And for me, in the beginning, when I first got into it, I just thought these were two different realms right and it was like you're either the monks who are kind of fully surrendered to those principles and and belief system and then you have the people who are not and i was kind of trying to do both but then as i spent time there one thing i always remember going back to and i believe it's chapter 3 verse either 33 or 35 and it talks about the idea of um it's better to perform your own prescribed duties uh, imperfectly than trying to perform someone else's perfectly, right? And, you know, th this concept is, you know, it takes some time to figure out, like, what is a duty? What is your dharma, like your purpose, and trying to figure that out. But then fast forward to the current day, and Steve Jobs, um, famous for saying that uh, life is too short, so don't waste time li living someone else's, right? Essentially, it's the same teaching. Um, and it's packaged in a way of, you know, the founder of Apple or, or the man behind the iPhone saying it. But it's, it's a teaching that was said thousands of years ago. And it's just one example of how you can take something like a scripture or the Vedas or the Bhagavad Gita and then read it. And it doesn't just have to be about let's learn about um, spirituality back in the day. It's like these are core principles that are timeless. And that's what I really learned, that it's not about these two different worlds, but it's about taking those principles. And it doesn't mean that just because you are interested in this piece, you have to give up your pursuits in life. It just means you need to learn how to shift that mindset to integrate these philosophies and principles and apply it in a way that whatever you are doing and whatever you are chasing to want to succeed, that they kind of align in some way, right? And so that, that was kind of a strong realization that it's like, well, hang on. I can go and work in a bank or I can go and work in a corporation where I'm striving to like make money and get promoted as long as it serves the purpose of, you know, I'm aligned in some way that I'm, I'm chasing these dreams to facilitate at least my own spiritual growth and then hopefully other people's rather than just trying to get money so I can, you know, like sp spunk it wherever. That was really helpful to kind of see that and it took me to kind of spend time with the monks and the monks who have given up stuff, you know, part of being a brahmachari is giving up um, all these kind of worldly possessions. But they wouldn't, they were not sitting there and teaching us to do the same. 
you know, they were obviously saying this is what you can do because we've done it. But they were very much teaching of how can you apply these monk principles into your own practices that you're going by so that you don't have to choose between these two worlds. Um, and that was really powerful for me. So it was really about just integrating it into your day to day life. And I think a lot of like world leaders and really successful entrepreneurs, I mean, they all do s seem to practice spirituality. So maybe it is part of living a fulfilled life and being becoming successful because I've read upon a lot of entrepreneurs and they do seem to all have these practices and meditations, morning routines. So I think it does tie well into, you know, creating that mindset for like optimal performance. Yeah. And one of the key things there is, um, cause, cause I've done kind of a similar, like I'm interested in a similar sphere and the, the one thing or the two things that is common is the resilience and consistency. So it's like people have different practices, right? Some people do the whole 5am club, other people and who are also hugely successful are completely against this idea of having to wake up early because they're night owls. That's something else that I've learned recently where it's like, there's not one model that fits every person. And then you can go back to why that is like, you know, historically when, uh, as Vikings or whatever, you'd have to defend the castle. You've got people watching it during the day and then you've got the night watchers. So you've got people who have trained to be built to perform their duties through the night. So when someone says that they're a night owl and they work better at night, you know, I believe it, right? It's kind of figuring out what you are. You either are a morning person or a night person. Yeah. I think people have different circadian rhythms as exactly. well. So we're all wired differently. So there's no like one size fits all. No. And it's just figuring out everyone. Yeah. And it's just figuring out which one you are, right? Which sometimes it takes some time because you need to figure out your productivity but that was important but yeah going back to the point of resilience and consistency these like ceos and entrepreneurs it's not like they're saying yeah uh, i meditated and then i became a millionaire right it's like i put the hard work and graft for years and it comes the same comes down to like morning routines and meditation even they have to go through the same process of turning it into a habit but just because they have this kind of common trait that i've seen where they're consistent and resilient with it that allows them to like implement a successful morning routine, but then also be successful in whatever they've created. So yeah, that, that was a, that's something that's really resonated with me. So going back to resilience and consistency, what other things have you strengthened through your spiritual practices? I'd say also empathy, which, you know, we've kind of touched on already, but it's the idea of, understanding where people are in their own journey. Like I said, for me, you know, I went through that early phase of, I, I wouldn't say I drastically went from zero to a hundred, but I did go from, like I say, being this happy go lucky kid who didn't really have any deeper thoughts. Um, and then within a few years, spending a lot of my time serving either in the temple or with spiritual events, hanging around with people interested in spirituality, reading spiritual books in my spare time. So I did kind of quite a lot, quite a big transition. And so when I saw other people that didn't, and even people that I knew who were kind of interested in spirituality, but really slow with the uptake, I just didn't get it. And so it's something that I learned over time about empathy, because, you know, I've made my mistakes, I've, I've slipped up, I've uh, got lazy and, and, and all of that stuff. And then 
I had to kind of look back and be like, well, it's easy for me to point fingers, but you know, I'm no angel in that way. I just have this sort of like grit that if I'm interested in something, I will kind of dive into it and really try and explore it. Uh, kind of like how I did with my my own podcast and, and things like that. So it's just that empathy of really realizing like some people, I don't know their life story, right? Like when you meet someone, it's like walking into a film an hour in. You don't really know what's happened in that hour before. So it's hard to judge the film based on when you've walked into the cinema. And it's this way, you know, someone's come into my life and I know them at that moment. And I may think I know them really well, but unless I know their previous decades of existence, it's hard for me to place a judgment on why they are the way they are. Uh, and I think spirituality really helped me to to kind of understand the idea of people being on their own journey and, and just doing your best to kind of support them while also always, you know, developing yourself because there's always room to develop. Yeah. And just on that, would you say spirituality is for everyone or not yeah. for everyone? I know you touched on it earlier with the girl where you didn't understand why she wasn't more curious but would you say it is for everyone or not for everyone yeah i had a i had a fear you would ask me that question um because <laughs> it, it i think it's tough because i think there's a kind of spiritual answer and then there's let, let's cover the the spiritual answer in the idea that we are all um souls on a physical journey right you know we're not human beings on a spiritual journey it's the other way around so with that idea if we're all the soul then we're all destined for the spiritual path at one point it may just not be in this lifetime so that's kind of the very spiritual side of you, you then need to believe in the idea of karma and reincarnation to look at someone and be like okay maybe maybe it's maybe it's not for you in this lifetime but it just means that because you're not on that path now, you're going to come back in another lifetime and then maybe it will then be then. Um, but, you know, without considering that side of it, I think I think there are moments in people's life where they will be faced with a test or some kind of door opening where it is then up to them to step into it. So I think people are definitely given opportunities and just to briefly can like cover again it's somewhere in scriptures about how kind of people come to this path of of this of spirituality um and it's you know either because they're just a very curious person um either it's in their karma or someone very close to them brings them in and they you know in the beginning they're just doing it out of the love for the person and then they find their own curiosity um or quite commonly they've kind of reached this like low i don't want to say low point but this point where they don't know what to reach out to and then and then they kind of find this this path or this rope to grab onto towards spirituality it's like the other idea of if you've ever heard um no one on a plane that's about to crash is an atheist right because when you're when you're on a plane and it's going down and it's pretty much you're destined for death um what what can you reach out to apart from if if never then now is the time when i really hope that there is a god and there is something more than this being my final moments um so that's why it's hard to say is it for everyone because technically yes will everyone find it and is it is it someone's responsibility to get everyone on that path i would say probably not no mm -hmm. yeah just on that have you ever experienced 
a sense of awakening. Yeah, that's a so. I, I guess it depends what you mean by awakening. Do you mean like a full-on enlightenment? Yeah, like like a pivotal moment where you're practicing or you're in solitude and you kind of have that that aha moment. Yeah, yeah. Where you, or things start to come together and you start getting some of the answers that you were seeking for. Yeah, I think for me. Um, and I think it is different for some people. I, I don't think there was like one solely like grand pivotal moment, but I think there were, there were kind of like almost like progress updates, you know, like when you do a, you know, when you're doing a body recomp or whatever, and then you kind of see the progress you're making. And then, you know, you need that referral, right? Because say if you were going on a year of dieting or going to the gym and you didn't see anything and just hoping that, you know, day one is, you're not where you are and day three, six, five, you suddenly are. It doesn't really work like that, right? You'll do like a three month check-in and see some kind of development. And so in that way, like even on my, this, this kind of spiritual um, journey, what, what I was seeing is like the second time I went to India, I just remember I was waking up at like 4 a.m. to uh, meditate with the monks. And I used to have this one specific area where I would sit on this wall and the weather was obviously, you know, really warm in India. And I used to always meditate there and watch this. I used to see the sun come out, right? Because I'd be out there for like an hour and a half. So I'd see it go from pitch black to suddenly the sun rising. And that became my like, I don't know. No, I definitely don't want to say safe space, but that became my space um, where it didn't become difficult to wake up because I really looked forward to that hour and a half that I had. And that for me al allowed me to really get into that stillness of during that hour and a half, I really didn't have a wavering mind. And, you know, it becomes a bit easier when you're you're almost living the, the monk life for like two weeks. But it, it really was like, the, this is my hour and a half where I know it's this stillness in me where the things I'm reflecting on are my own kind of growth and this like, sort of like higher, um, whatever you want to call it, higher consciousness. Um, and so when I came, when I came back, what I was able to do um, which I wish I still could, um, was, and I still do it time to time, but when I'm meditating, I get to anchor back onto that plane as such. So I, I almost draw myself back to that moment because then that allows me to get back into that, that kind of mindset and framework of that higher feeling of consciousness. And you do feel it, right? I, I, this bit's hard to describe, you know, it's the beauty, the beauty's in the, the proof's in the pudding. You kind of experience it. But you eventually do get to the point where people's mind always want like wonders. Even the, the top monks and, and that that I um, got to know, they talk about the same thing. It's, it's almost impossible to become perfectly still or for long periods of time. But to be able to replicate that while being immersed in like my kind of, what would you call it, normal, normal material life, um, that was a good sign of progress. And the second, I think, was when two friends who I didn't know, they were not my closest friends, but they were more like friends of friends, but they got really into spiritual growth. And one, he, if he listens to this, he'll know who he is. He is far exceeded me. Um, and, you know, we're, we're kind of very similar, but the, the time that we spoke about it was when I was still quite new to it all. And we went out and then, um, you know, to a club and, and we were drinking and then, 
I, 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 I still, I think I had stuff to do the next day, or maybe I was even going to the temple the next day. So I didn't drink that much, but he was quite drunk, but he was so intrigued to ask me, you know, he dropped me home the next day and for two hours, he was asking me questions, but it came from such a genuine place. Like he wanted to know. And I loved it because it really tested my own knowledge of what have I been learning for the last year or so. Right. And then to kind of see that, you know, there's this other thing of it really benefits your own karma if you bring someone else to the spiritual journey. And, you know, I'm not trying to take credit for where he's got to, but he used to be so thankful for what I brought him to. And really, I didn't ever try. It just came out of his own genuine interest. And then he wanted to come to events with me. He wanted to ask me more. He was asking me what books to read. So when being able to see that because of the journey that I'm going through, I've helped to shift someone else's journey who may or may not have gone on to it. I'm sure he would have found, you know, someone else or another way to get there. But I was kind of like that tool, almost, you know, cheesy in a cheesy way, kind of that, that hand of God that brought him in. Um, so these kind of moments were, I don't know if it directly answered your question, but it, you know, it showed me that there was this kind of, it, it was working as such, um, both for, for me and, and for what kind of impact and influence I was having on people around me. And what does your meditation practice look like? What, what is your practice? So for years, it was uh, just mantra meditation. And so yeah you know there were so by that by mantra meditation you mean you say a mantra yeah out loud right yeah there's repetitively or yeah basically there's two ways there's like a thing called kirtan which is like a call and response where you would be in it's kind of like a harmonized version of meditating where there's kind of a key singer and there's instruments and then you repeat back what the person says though those are some of the best and you know people who've been through this experience honestly, the feeling that you can get, and I guess on the more like surface level side of it, if someone is like a, a really good singer or someone that you resonate with, it does have that impact. Like sure, there's people who are super pure, but you know, even if there's someone who's not, but they just have such a great voice, it helps. But then it's all about internalizing that feeling. So that's one kind of like group meditation experience. But in terms of personal um, yeah, a mantra meditation is you've you've been given a passage or a, a series of words, and you've been you know told to repeat it um, because they are spiritual words. So I was implementing that. For me, it was a lot about okay, you know, I need I need to just get it done in the day. So there were times when I'm like, you know, there, there were times when I was driving and kind of saying these mantras, which is. You know, I, I, you can say it's better to do it than not to do it, but you're really kind of, you're not really giving your full energy to it. And I, I don't know if you've, um, it's quite common now, you know, it's the idea of don't give someone your 100% of your time, give them 100% of your energy. So if you know you can only promise someone half an hour of your full time, don't commit an hour, just give them that half an hour. And so I've started kind of adopting that where part of, you know, a morning routine, I'll sit down for at least 20 minutes and do it. And then I probably know that I'm not going to then do it during the day, because if I try to do it during the day, firstly, there's all these other thoughts in my mind, but I'm not giving my 100% to it. So I've kind of switched from um, doing it whenever I can to actually really sitting in, in silence first thing in the morning and kind of dedicating at least 20 minutes to it. And then again, it's you need to keep doing it to kind of really see the benefit. Um, so that's that's what I've realized that 
I don't personally I don't know if I couldn't answer if there's just like one main meditation or mantra meditation that's good for everyone I think people have their own one that they need to believe in you know do your reading maybe speak to people who you see as your kind of mentor or someone you see as someone superior that you want to be like uh, and seek guidance and then once you find that that thing that resonates with you then just stick to it for watch well, stick to it for as long as you can basically um so yeah mantra meditation is kind of taking a mantra and repeating it for i would say a specified amount of time that you know you can commit to on a daily basis so is that part of your morning routine then or do you also do it as part of your evening routine and what does your morning routine look like and your evening routine if you do have one yeah good question um no so it's part of my morning routine i you know like i say i used to before just try and fit in half an hour an hour's worth of it whenever i could and so there would be times like especially coming back from work or even during uni coming back from uni and then it would be like uh oh you know it's bedtime and i haven't done my prescribed meditation let me do it now and i honestly i would be you know sitting by the side of my bed or by a wall doing it and i was just nodding off like crazy nodding off if someone has trouble sleeping then honestly just implement a meditation routine before bed and it will it will make you fall asleep there's there's something about it but then the problem with that is i was i was never really focused on the meditation right i was just i was literally drifting and then you know when you're half sleep i don't know if you've ever you know so when you're speaking to someone when you're really tired and then you start hearing things that they haven't said or you start thinking about other stuff and you you've kind of lost track of what's the real world and what's this like dream world that you're in i don't know if you you've ever been through that but um that's kind of, yeah that's kind of what the meditation became like like i wasn't focused on the meditation and i was like having these almost half dream state so that wasn't working for me um so yeah meditation i do in the morning and then along with along with the morning routine i have and this is like i wish i could say you know for the last 400 days my morning routine has been unscathed but that's you know definitely not true um but i try and follow this wake up then um you know drink loads of lemon water then that that 20 minutes of uh meditation and then stretching i think this is an age thing but um if i don't do some form of morning stretching my body just feels horrible like i need i feel so stiff um hopefully it's getting better over time but i i need to do that morning stretching so i do that and then the next part of it i i'll still normally have about 40 minutes that i commit to something and that changes so like before it was um f- uh like tw- 20 to 30 minutes of reading uh, a book that i've downloaded off amazon prime or kindle and then the the remainder of the time i was like during phases where i really wanted to learn a language like i've i mean i've been through learning spanish i've been through learning mandarin um i'll do like that language practice but now especially with kind of building out this podcast and the bigger vision that's what i'm using that morning time for so that could either be um working on the content or reading up on my next guest or reading up on the history of of you know someone's background to be able to to implement that so i'm still doing some form of learning but now it's serving this purpose which which means i've i've kind of replaced it with what i was doing before like just general kind of really reading and and language learning so you just mentioned your podcast can you tell us a little bit more about your podcast what's your vision for it how did this come about 
Yeah, this is amazing. This is probably the first, this is definitely the first interview I'm doing to talk about the bigger vision. I've talking, I've spoken about the actual podcast, but uh, yeah, it's, it's nice for you to ask that. Um, in terms of the podcast, so it's brief history. It, it just began as something a bit more personal for, and when I say personal, I mean for my family. Um, being from like Indian background, uh, my parents were born in Africa and then I was born in London. So f for me growing up with that, being in London, there were people around me who had the same kind of family life story to share. But when I traveled and, you know, even when I lived in China, people who I would tell this to found it so fascinating. And I, I didn't understand why. And then they would ask me like, well, hang on, but you don't sound Indian because I was born in England. But then why were your parents in Africa? I don't understand. So then I would start to tell them. And then as I was telling them, I was like, well, firstly, they find it fascinating. But also I've realized that I really want to understand it better and more purer, like really understand their journey. And so that's how like the journey onwards came about, because it's the idea of their journey onwards. But then also I want their, their, their story to also journey onwards for future generations to hear. So once I did that with my family and then it, it just got so much more love what's the word but there was a lot of like positive comments about it from out not just from my family which i expected but from people outside they're like oh this is such a great idea i would love to actually know about my family background um you know my parents or my grandparents have such an interesting immigrant story and then so i was like well i want to scale this not just so they can share the stories but then there's these lessons that get passed down and that's what i found out like when i spoke to my dad and my uncle so many of the lessons of the way that what they had to go through has developed their character, I realized like, wow, I see that in me. I see that in my cousins. I see that in how we are. So there's so much more depth to it than just the memories, even though the memories are super precious as well. And so that's what the kind of bigger purpose is now to scale this for other people. So for people to share their story and journey, but then for people like me, like you, who have parents that have been through something similar, for us to be able to talk about actually, you know, I know that my granddad went through X, Y, Z. Uh, now I think about it, it, I saw a lot of, you know, resilience or the ability to adapt. And I've realized how much I see that in me now. Um, and then the bigger vision is to put this into a platform where, you know, it's kind of almost like a structured version of Facebook. You know, it's like a family tree meets Facebook. So you could then click on your family tree and there would be like the podcast interview or some like media content of of that person so you'd know about them whereas you might not have or you'd have to like scroll through facebook and you know media's all over the place so it becomes difficult to find what you might be looking for yeah so that's that's the first time i talked about that that portion of it which is this like this like interactive immersive sort of family tree where hopefully this podcast will will sit oh that's amazing man because i know a lot of this can go like undocumented especially in the times of our parents, like they didn't have phones and they couldn't record video. Exactly. So I think if we don't capture all of these lessons or learnings and stories, then it will just get get lost and we can't really go back to it at exactly. all. And it's not really something you think about on a day-to-day -day basis or maybe you haven't asked your parents all of these questions, but I think what you're doing, you're giving people the platform to to document it and to share it whereas people may not really talk about those things to anyone unless 
someone's going out there and asking you questions probing you to get the answers i think um yeah it's truly amazing what you're doing yeah you're completely right because it is that that was one of the main things where it's like how often do you sit down with your uncle and be like hey tell me about your journey right you just don't you might you might hear the odd story here and there but um it's you know unless you're just super inquisitive all the time you just you never do that and you you especially never do it in kind of one sitting where you learn the whole thing you learn bits here and there so yeah you're completely right that is kind of like I'm, I'm glad you understand that 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 bigger message um some people have books and artifacts um of grandparents and great-grandparents that they've like written stuff or there's like these really old pictures over time those get worn out and then you know the, the worst thing would be that one day it either gets lost or so worn out that people can't take from it what they want so yeah you're right kind of putting it in this digital plane where hopefully it just lives on forever uh that's what it's trying to capture so yeah you're right yeah amazing so this is quite a difficult question how do you live a fulfilled life <laughs> yeah that's that is um but it's a good one um but what's your understanding of living a fulfilled life so i think and this is really kind of recent in the last like few months that I've kind of, you know, if you asked me this a year ago, a year ago, I probably would have said something else. But I think a fulfilled life is very different for the person. And I do these like uh, biweekly reviews of, of like famous immigrants. So like celebrities who are immigrants. And so I was doing, mm -hmm. I did like Arnold Schwarzenegger recently. And he said in an interview that um, he's like, he said he's a very like driven person and he doesn't expect others to be like that or even get it. He's like, people are, some people are satisfied and comfortable in their certain ways. Like, you know, having a family, having their day job and then coming back and then spending time with their kids. Um, and you know, th that's it. That's fine. Right. That's fulfilling for them. Um, and for me, I think that's something I realized that fulfillment really is this like, have I got to a point where I, I genuinely am quite content in what I'm, what my daily actions are doing? Are they leading me to where I want to go? And so for me, I don't think I really knew what that was before, because I guess I've always been trying to balance this like desire to become like spiritually successful and materially successful. So maybe there is a bit of like, you know, trade off there. Uh, and I didn't really know how to merge the two. So you know, coming back to your question of how do I lead a fulfilled life now? I think it is so recent in this, like, you know, now that we've spoken about this bigger vision for, for what I'm trying to create f via the podcast. Um, now I feel fulfilled in a sense of I'm nowhere near having achieved it yet. You know, like I said, this is the first time I've spoken about it publicly like this, but I know that it's what I want to create. Like, because for me, the idea of fulfillment and purpose is to, for me personally, that is, is to like leave a legacy in some way. I want to create something of my own that's leaving a legacy. And I feel I finally, not only finally figured out that that's what my sense of fulfillment is, but also that mm -hmm. this, that this is what's going to help me do it. So as long as like every day I'm working towards it, mm -hmm. that's my sense of fulfillment. And then if I get there, I'll, you know, hopefully I get there. Um, but, you know, the beginning is kind of that like 1% every day. Mm -hmm. 
Um, yeah, it's just being in, in pursuit of it and just being on that journey. Yeah. Even if you get there or not, I'm sure you'll you'll get to where you want to be. But um, just that pursuit of every day, I w I'm getting closer and closer to my goal. Exactly. I think that's what drives you. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, like it's, it's taken me yeah decades to realize, but um, at least for now, and hopefully it's not something that's going to change again. But I feel like that's really you know I found that I don't want to say calling, but yeah, that sense of that sense of purpose. Who would you say has had the biggest influence on you? <laughs> yeah, so I, I mean, yeah, I, I guess this is considering what we've spoken about as well and really tying it in all together. You know, when I was talking about that friend that introduced me to spirituality, um, it's it's Jay. So it's like, it's uh, Jay Shetty. So I, I don't need Jay to, Shetty. yeah, I don't need to des <laughs> describe him too much uh you know there's there's plenty of like literature out there that does it for me but it really is like he he's the one you know when i was 15 uh you know we were in the same class we were in the same school and then you know for the first four years of school he was in my class but i didn't know him that well we just you know got along hmm. cool he was he seemed like a cool guy but you know when at 15 16 is when we really got close and that was also when he began his like diving into spirituality like his i don't want to say that's when he began his journey but that's when he began diving in so we were good friends so he was like you know come and come to this event with me come to the temple with me and we'll help out and for me it was like cool you know he's he's my like one of my best friends it sounds like a good thing to do i get to spend time with him and hang out and so that obviously was a huge turning point because if if uh, if he if we were not friends and for him to introduce me to it it's hard to, it's hard to say if i would have found it another way i have no idea and then you know ever since then i went to cardiff uni for a year and i knew that i knew i wanted to change i loved i loved my life there i just knew that that wasn't the sort of path for me and so me and him were still you know we were really good friends and he he actually took a year out and so he convinced me, did he take a year out? I might have made that up. But he basically convinced me to go to the university that he was at. And, you know, mm -hmm. being like, he, I mean, he, he was selling me all these dreams about the university that just weren't true. He, just, he, he was just like, he was like, I need a friend. Mate, I mate, like, if, yeah. Yeah, anyway, he, um, he, he was just like, I need Anand to come back to London mainly because he was looking out for my like spiritual interests he knew in cardiff you know it was i was trying to manage it there but i wasn't right i was doing bits but i really wasn't um and then um my other options were to go somewhere outside of uh, of london and i'd got the offer at that university so i remember phoning him and saying oh hey i've got this but then i've also got some a couple of other places and he's like you have to come here and then he, he sold me all these dreams about how amazing the the life is at that university completely not true he just knew what he needed to say to get me to say yes to that university and and so yeah so that so you know it was kind of like that was his next big influential piece in my life where first it was when we were like 15 uh, and getting me into spirituality and then it was getting me to come to london which really then allowed me to explore this because if i'd if i'd gone somewhere else i wouldn't have had that 
connection not just to him because he then went to india um but then by then i'd formed that network of people that i was talking about um which i just wouldn't have done and then i probably wouldn't have gone to india and been through all those experiences i did so yeah it might be a bit cheesy to talk about someone of his like stature but this really is kind of like going back uh going way way back so yeah so you and jay went through that whole india experience together i, I assume he was you were part of the same group that well actually for those three summers or yeah good question good question so he by that point uh had already become a monk because i was because i because we're in the same year but i changed universities so he finished before me um and so in the year that i was in my final year that's when he uh became a monk in london and then when i finished when i graduated uh and then i started work he then had gone to india by this point so you know luckily I, because through university i'd formed all these like great connections um but then by the time he went to india i i didn't you know i wasn't i didn't need him to hang around with his people that type of thing right he introduced me to a lot of them but i was so well integrated so yeah uh going back to your question now he, he was already um he was already serving as a monk before i'd done my like uh these like summer vacations with with my with those other guys so he was staying in the ashram like fully devoted to like would he spend the whole summer there or was he spending a couple of um i think uh and don't quote me on exactly the journey but he 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 used to spend some like weeks there and then i think he eventually decided at one point like okay i'm gonna it's you know it's called a sabbatical where you you kind of do commit to that year of you spend i think six months in in london and then six months across india and you know in his book he goes into all the details of of the the mm -hmm. kind of journey he went through so yeah he, he kind of I, I remember he declined his graduate offer and um and then he, he decided to take this path where I think I can't remember if he had if he deferred it or I have a feeling that they said no to the deferral. And he just said, you know, cool, well, I'm going to take the sabbatical anyway. So, you know, he gave up a, a, you know, a decently professional services paying job to do this. And so, yeah, you know, while he was in London, I would go on the weekends and, and spend some time with him. And so it wasn't really a surprise for me to see kind of the where he's got to. Because I, I saw that whole process of, you know, through university, he taught me a lot. Um, and then while he was in the ashram, I saw a different side to him. You know, I saw him devoted in this in this other way. But by this point, so many, so many people looked up to him. So many of the youth that I knew, you know, it, it was difficult for me to get time with him even back then. Because, and, and now it's, you know, let's not even get started. But back <laughs> then there were always like some of the, the younger kids coming through who wanted to spend time with him to learn from him and just to, you know, yeah, just spend time with him. So it, yeah, his journey began right after university, like as in seriously, like to that level. And um, obviously he's just been growing ever since. So he had that influence on your spiritual journey. Did it ever make you consider becoming a monk? Yeah. Did yeah. you ever have those thoughts? Yeah, uh, for sure. I, I'm sure he, he must have, uh, you know, told me about these experiences and said that, you know, I think you I think you considering we're like minded that you you need to do this. It's it's kind of the thing that for youth who are interested in spirituality, 
apart from the summer vacations, uh, which is like step one, this is like the big step you take, right? This is like do that year of commitment. And that's when you really see the transformation. Um, and again, you know, you can you can refer to his book to kind of see what those things are. Um, it's like I'm promoting his book. But anyway, <laughs> it is a good book. Yeah, I'm not getting paid for this, unfortunately. And then, yeah, and then I considered it. And I think it was one of those things where I just never had the guts to give up my job in a bank because and it probably was driven by the fact that I was getting a decent salary. That is mm -hmm. like, oh, that's a big thing to give up. That changed in the years to come because I did eventually j just just quit, like give it up and move to China. But back then it was like, oh, but, you know, I worked so hard to get this job. I went through three years of university, that whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's something I'll always look back on. But if I did what he did and straight after university gone and done it before really starting full time work, that was probably my shot and I didn't take it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, yeah, it is one of those like what ifs. I don't know. I don't know what life would have been like. Based on your spiritual experiences, how do you deal with stress? Are you good at dealing with stress or are you good at blocking it out or do you still struggle with that? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I've always been pretty chilled in a way of like one thing a lot of my friends would say about me even before, you know, my kind of like a journey through spirituality is that I'm quite like calming. And in a way, okay, it can be positive and negative, you know, more, more on the positive side of people saying that I'm very calming, um, very like logical and, you know, don't, don't kind of like blow my fuse very easily. But then some people also see that as kind of like almost aloof and a bit too like laissez faire. I've had that with one of my ex-girlfriends who was like, you know, sometimes it looks like you just don't care, <laughs> which is, <laughs> which is probably not good. And it wasn't the case of, I didn't care. It's just that I wouldn't stress about the kind of things that, um, probably they would want you to stress about, right? Cause it's almost like if you care and stress about certain, certain things, then it shows you care. That really, yeah. that really wasn't my mindset. Mine was like, if I don't stress about it, that's good for both of us. It just saves us negative energy. Right. But it didn't come across like that a lot. So I've kind of always had that side of me, but I think, yeah, in terms of the stress management side, you know, like I was briefly mentioning that ability to kind of see what really matters you know what it really deserves stress being stressed out about it was quite easy for me to manage stress in that sense you know stuff like even work pressures and you know obviously you should give your all to your job because you've committed to that job and they're paying you but it you know I, it was always the thing of like it's not the be all end all like if, if work is stressing you out then find a way to solve it, but don't let it kind of consume you. And like, you know, one of my friends, he's, he used to struggle to balance between his work and personal life. So when it came to a Friday and maybe we'd go for dinner, if he'd had a bad week, he was miserable. You could see it. He was like a lot more rude. He would have a few drinks and get really like deep, but kind of like miserable. Um, and for me, you know, I used to, and maybe that's why he likes spending time with me to kind of get that other perspective well, I wouldn't kind of feed into that and be like, oh, yeah, you're right. I would be like, you need, you know, that is what that is. You can't let how someone's behavior at work kind of brings you down in in the whole of the rest of your life. So, yeah, it, yeah, it, it's kind of on the whole, I think it's definitely been beneficial. But I, I can see at times when it's been like, yo, you need to show like you care because sometimes it looks like you you just don't. But I think that's, yeah, I just had more desire to 
be concerned about my spiritual growth rather than some of the other material growth elements at times and that can be like that can be perceived as as a bit like skewed sometimes so yeah that was a bit tough and what are your thoughts on the world today the world we live in today are we going to live with each other in harmony or are we going to as humans destroy humanity <laughs> it's big yeah um the easy answer i don't know but um through through some of the people that i've spoken about uh spoken to as guests on my podcast like obviously i'm i'm trying to like explore people's lives that have crossed borders right so people who grew up in one place and moved to other to kind of see what similarities there are between them how it's impacted their their character and their family's character um but one common thing that i've like noticed and not even by intention is that all of them just seem to be serving this like purpose for bringing like positive developments and positive change to the world so i don't know you know maybe it's i'm just niching in on these particular type of people but the fact that everyone is kind of striving for this in some way so like you know th there's a chef that's try that's trying to bring food revolution to africa um there's a guy who's really promoting intuition and permaculture um there's another lady who's really trying to help women to be able to talk about elements of their life that they don't get to talk about on like on a normal stage of ceos talking about success and all of that um and so because I'm coming across more and more people like that, I feel like the world is shifting away from this like full on degradation. Like, I don't think it's too late. Maybe that's me being optimistic. But, you know, people like what you're doing as well. Um, and you're speaking to, you know, kind of similar people who I've identified this purpose and it is all around serving. Right. So if you're managing to find and speak to these people, then there's clearly people out there. And, you know, podcasts are a way of people promoting positivity in some way. You know, you don't, I, I don't know, but I'm hoping you don't get many podcasts that are telling people to be destructive and destroy the world. I'm hoping most of the podcasts are. And if those do, do exist, I'm hoping not many people are looking for them. So just in the sense of like the people who are trying to get messages out there are the people that are trying to do good. For me, that means that we are hopefully not too late in this journey of kind of I can't remember what you said, like saving the world, but, you know, going, going, you know, in, in a direction that's more good rather than bad. Yeah. I do feel that there's a sort of movement happening where I see people are starting to wake up, especially our generation, I think. Yeah. We're starting to notice some of these limiting beliefs and constructs, social norms that have been holding us back. And I think we are starting to do more of that self-discovery work that inner work and it's letting us like express ourselves so you do see a lot of new innovations coming out a mm. lot of new ideas coming out and to make our world a better place so i think i i am hopeful that we're moving in the right direction yeah i'm just i think the main thing is it, just that hope that it's not too late right because I, I you're right i think there's definitely people asking the right questions and doing the right things but you know it's that whole like some people are saying that, you know climate change for example is, is too late you know we're, we're too many decades behind uh, you know my hope is more that it's it's 
it doesn't really help thinking like that, right? You might as well do what you can rather than saying, well, let's just give up now because it's too late. And I'd like to end my podcast episodes with one question. Uh, what can we all do t from today to better serve ourselves and to serve others? Yeah, very, very, uh, it's probably the toughest question of the lot, to be <laughs> honest. Um, and I think it is, yeah, I, I just don't want to sound too cliched, right? But it's it's the whole idea. People either either take two, on the extremes, there's two views that people take or there's two kind of paths. There's those who are like, they're so uh, bogged down with trying to be perfectionists that they don't inspire the change in the meantime. So like, you know, for, for example, some people want to start a podcast, but they want to get it 100% right that they never start it right and like this is another thing i learned of jay where he you know he says that he only he normally only ever feels that he's 70 percent complete with his podcast before he releases it and you know for someone i listen to them and they're amazing right i'm like wow the way he speaks the content he has so the fact that he's sitting there and saying i normally i only feel like i've done 70 percent of the job that i could do but he gets it out there and and that applies to everything i think it's where some people spend two long trying to perfect whatever it is themselves normally that they don't they're like oh i'm not ready to inspire change and then you've got those people in the other end who are more like hypocrites which is like i you know i, I don't want to be judging but it's like if you look at clubhouse and the number of profiles that say seven i've you know i've, I've got a seven figure eight figure business i can help you make yours and it's and you know i'm not saying that the majority of them are lying but i just i don't think they're all being honest so then it comes down to you're, there's so much imposter syndrome where there's there's those people trying to be perfectionists and then there's other people that are just completely lying and being like, I've already done all this, now I can help you do it, give me your money. And so I think it is kind of like, again, that's why it's a tough question because I think it needs there needs to be a balance of somewhere in between where it's like, as long as you're genuinely on your own journey of becoming better and helping others to become better, then you're already in a position where you can serve others firstly through your actions um, so that people can just see what you're doing and then through your words. And so I, I just think it takes, it, it just takes to be somewhere in the between where I think the key message is just be genuine at whatever stage you're at uh, through your actions and your words. And then that is like, that is already, you're doing a huge, a huge job for your question. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think just like you mentioned, get yourself out there. You don't need to be perfect. I know it's something I struggled with. I'm a bit of a perfectionist. And I think I recorded my first podcast episode and I sat on it for three to four months just because oh, wow. I wasn't sure if it was good enough. And I eventually got it out there. So I think it's just about taking the, those leaps and just going ahead with it. And it's better than not doing anything at all. Yeah, I think you're, uh, I, you know, I listened to, to some of yours and I think the points are really clear. Um, so, I mean, you know, whatever you're worried about, I, I, sh I wouldn't be. I thought it was quite, it's good. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Uh, how can people get in touch with you? How can people find you? What, what are your social media details? And also, how can they listen to your podcast? Yeah, good question. Um, so on Instagram, it's uh, Anand's World at Anand's World. That's how you can get hold of me. And then, yeah, the podcast is called The Journey Onwards. So it's like, I've thrown it out to all the, the podcast platforms, you know, the, the, the bigger the reach, hopefully the 
the more you know the pe- more people can benefit from it um and then there's also the instagram page for that which is at the journey onwards podcast but i i normally just uh um have people get hold of me on at anan's world that's probably the best way to find me yeah all right cool yeah everyone go check out his podcast and get in touch with anan if yeah, you have for sure. any further questions anan it's been a pleasure thanks a lot for doing this man it was really insightful and i'm sure a lot of our listeners can gain a lot of value out of this discussion yeah i hope so you asked some uh yeah you asked some questions that really got me thinking so i appreciate that uh, no worries thanks man all right enjoy your day thanks Anand's journey is incredible and his key learnings around resilience and consistency are the main ingredients for success in anything that you aspire to do. Another thing that stood out for me was friendship and having the best intentions for your friends. Despite all of his success right now and the impact he's making in the world, Jay Shetty inspired Anand into spirituality at the age of 15, way before he was well known and also convinced him to move from Cardiff back to London for university as he was concerned about his spiritual growth. This demonstrates that if you feel something is making a difference to your life, you should share it with others so that they can benefit from it too, whilst also having empathy, like Anand mentioned, really understanding where people are in their own journey. To serve, we need to be genuine in our own actions and words. Also, go check out Anand's podcast, The Journey Onwards. I've had the pleasure of being on his podcast too, so if you're interested in hearing about my story growing up as a British Iranian in the UK, go give it a listen. I'm going to leave all the info in the show notes. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit subscribe so you can get a notification when a new episode is released. Also share it with your friends and family or whoever you think would be interested in this episode. I would really appreciate it if you left a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcast. If you want to reach out to myself, you can find me on Instagram. I'll leave the info in the show notes and I'll see you all in the next episode.